Marketing Espresso, making marketing as enjoyable, energizing, and digestible as your morning coffee. Hello, hello. Thank you for joining me for another episode of Marketing Espresso. So grateful you are back here with me and listening to me in your ears. I'm a bit tired today, guys. Maybe that's why I don't know if I sound that good. I think my voice is a bit stuffed up at the moment. So sorry if I'm a little bit flatter than usual. Still grateful that you're listening to the potty. Pretty much what I would love you to do for me is leave a review or rating or reach out, say hi, and tell me what you're loving about the podcast or if there's any hot burning marketing questions that you have. But of course, it is a Tuesday, so I have a guest for you and I want to jump straight in. I absolutely loved our chat that we had last time. And if you haven't checked it out, make sure you go back and find the app. I'm trying to like link it in the show notes now, so I will hopefully remember to do that for you guys. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah, you are on your own to go find the uh, episode. But I'm, of course, talking about Nancy McDonnell Ruder. She's an executive coach, a leadership advisor, and a marketing consultant with more than 25 years' experience. She began her career at the Leo Burnett Company and in 2002 founded Noick Consultants, working with clients such as Samsung, PepsiCo, Nike, Marriott, Mayo Clinic, and Discovery Inc. Nancy serves as a professor at Georgetown U- University, and she is the creative creator of the Noick Art and Science Assessment, as well as the author of the book, How Senior Marketers Scale the Heights. Nancy is a sought-after educator and speaker with experience in topics relating to marketing, leadership, entrepreneurship, and brand awareness. She combines expertise and heart and moving audiences to action with a clear path to change. So excited that you're joining me again for this chat. I think you're going to love it. As always, reach out, say hi, tell me what you think. And of course, reach out to Nancy if you love this episode too and connect with her. Have a great week, guys. Nancy, thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks so much for having me again, Beck. So happy to be here with you. I know. I love our chats. I feel like I've known you forever. I feel the same. It's awesome. (laughs) We have the same energy, I think. I think so. I'm so excited for this episode because you absolutely piqued my interest when you said something because I was talking about how I'm a generalist and I said to you, you then said to me, there's there's an interesting quote, what is it? Jack of all trades, master of none. But this is not the whole quote you've now informed me. So I'm going to let you take it away. That's right. So that quote comes from Shakespeare, which I don't know if people generally know that. I had no idea. Partial, the partial quote. So the full quote is Jack of all trades, master of none, but so much better than master of one. Mm. Which if you think about it, what he's saying and what I found so true from the senior marketers that I interviewed for my book is that it is best to know a lot about a lot of things when it comes to being successful in marketing. So it's not to say that being a specialist doesn't have value. There's there are certainly ways in which, you know, being a specialist has value. However, when it comes to really scaling the heights in marketing, it's really knowing a lot about a lot. So it, it being a generalist has gotten a bad rap historically and still to this day really does and that that partial quote says it because it's basically saying like well, you're only an inch deep, mile wide, you know, you just, you're kind of a hack, right? That's what I'm saying. But what I learned from these marketers is that by being a generalist, what that really means is that you are really adept at learning. Mm. So I'll tell you a quick story. One of the people that I interviewed started his career. He's done amazing things on the agency side, has run various agencies in the U.S., And he started his career in the military and he was in the military police and they called it, so it's MP, military police. They used to joke and they said that MP stood for multi-purpose. 
And the reason that they said that is because in the military police, they just, for whatever reason, they made it their business to give them like a different job all the time. So, you know, one day you're running an infantry, the next day you're running the mess hall. Like if they would, they would throw them off balance, like on purpose by giving them this vast array of things. And so from a very young age, he learned how to learn Mm. and he learned how to deal with the feelings of incompetence and lean into the learning to know a lot about a lot. And so it, it, it's an emotional thing as well as a, as a voracious, you know, being an academic about it all, you have to kind of set aside the feelings that you have of being consciously incompetent in order to lean into the learning and stay curious and get competent. It's interesting because I find with me, like, I want to know everything about everything. And I've actually never thought of that as a negative thing. But I guess like if you listen to that quote, yeah, people would have been like, well, why do you need to know everything about everything? Because then, because sometimes I do worry. I'm like, <laughs> can my brain handle all the random crap that I learned? Because to be honest, I like I read the most random books or like watch the most random documentary. There's, there's great data that says that doing it that way avails you of much more creative problem solving. And in fact, and I really wish this book existed when I wrote my book, but it didn't because it only just came out. There's a book called Range. And this author really delved specifically and only on the idea of generalist. And he has all this data around how it enables more creative problem solving. Because think about it, if you're a specialist and you go really deep and narrow and you get too strictly into the protocols of it all, what happens when something off script happens? Mm-hmm. You don't know you what get to do. To- well, you're going to have tunnel vision. Right. You're going to miss it. Yeah. You're going to miss it because you have because you have blinders on. So again, it's not to say that there isn't a need for a specialist, but even if you're a specialist, you still need to avail yourself of broader information. Mm. He also says, and I, I thought this was very fascinating. I have no relationship with this author. I just happened to stumble upon <laughs> his book. And I was like, yes, that's what I was talking about too, about how you'll actually learn more slowly at first when you're learning in a broad way. But then you'll ultimately get to like further up on the curve. An example we could use would be when you, you know, children who have two languages in the household, perhaps Mm -hmm. the mom speaks Spanish to the child before it can talk and the dad speaks English. Mm -hmm. Those children uh, take longer to speak, but when they speak, they're bilingual. Amazing. I'm so jealous of bilingual. Me too. Yeah, we could. Yeah. (laughs) Because, yeah. And I guess the interesting thing is, and I'm going to throw a full spanner in the works here AI, I think, is going to take away from human innovation. And I also believe that it's going to stop us trying to learn mm. because everything's like, I, I look at life these days, right? Like, here, we're getting really philosophical now. But I look at life these days and everything's so, it's all about how do we make things so simple? And if we make things so simple, well, we're going to become simple, right? Like our brains were designed to be expansive. We, I think perhaps it's going to take us both ways and I'm inherently optimistic, but I absolutely agree with you in that we can go that lazy way. Like I could say to you today, like even without AI, I could be like, oh, remember that, that movie with Kevin Bacon 
and Kevin Costner. And I just go to the Google rather than using my yeah. brain to try to remember the name, right? I'm or guilty of that. Yeah. I can go to AI and say, you know, give me ideas for a 10 year old birthday party. And then I don't, and, and it does it for me and I don't have to think about it myself. So, so there's like a lazy brain factor, but I mean, I'm still learning about AI just like everyone else, but I think AI and, and I'm quoting a gentleman that I know who's working in that space, AI with guardrails enables you to actually get to better outcomes. So don't give up on doing the the thinking, you know, curate, filter, but Mm -hmm. then use AI to get additional fodder, which takes a certain kind of discipline. And, you know, do we have it? Right. Yeah. Or are we just going to, you know, become bots ourselves? Well, I think also because <laughs> it's going to be a little bit of both. Yeah. Because I think the thing is, we get caught in a busy trap too, right? The whole yes. point of convenience and the whole point of things being made convenient is because we've told people we're really busy. <laughs> so, yes. so brands have been like, well, how can we make people's life more convenient because they're so busy? And it's like, yeah, but if we all just stopped saying we were busy and actually prioritized. If we spent less time talking about how busy we are and or let's face it, if we all spent less time scrolling. Oh, Insta, I'm the worst for that. We would not be so busy. <laughs> I will I, I will admit my my scrolling on, I've had to get really, really strict with it because it does like, I was, on tra- I was on a packed train yesterday, like packed standing room only and people were standing. There was probably no room to stand anymore because everything was taken up. Every single person on that entire train in the, I could see like two carriage worth of people, everything. Yeah. And so I had my phone down and I was just staring, waiting for people to catch my eye because I make a game of it now. Like this is such a tangent. <laughs> We've gone off journalists, but like, I, I do think that it's really, you know, it is in- interesting this, um, where, yeah, where, where it'll take us. And I, mm-hmm. and I do think, you know, I think AI has amazing capacity. It's, it's the biggest change we've had technologically probably since the advent of the internet. Yeah, true. And it's going to take a while for us to sort out what all it means and it'll be good and it'll be bad and it'll be everything in between. It's like anything. Um, It's got yin and yang, right? Like it's, you know. Yeah. 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 I I think just, just like anything, but the other thing on generalists that you and (laughs) I bring it back because we do need to bring it back. (laughs) Bring it back that, that we talked about when we were not uh, recording that I wanted to come back to is the idea idea of accidental. Yeah. So many, many, many of the marketers that I spoke with spoke about being accidental generalists. And by that, what they meant is like, it was just a very windy path of how they got to what they were doing. And then they've done like different things along the way in whatever way they define that. You know, some of them would say like, oh, I worked client side for a while or work agency side. I worked at a startup where I worked in this industry and that industry, or I, or I specialized in digital for a while. And then I did this. So they used to hold that as like, oh, what am I doing? Am I, am I not focused? But the more senior they've gotten, the more they realize that all of those experiences and knowing a lot about a lot and being adept at learning, being an accidental generalist is actually where they are getting their power from. Yeah. And and to be honest, that's something I learned too, because I see people that have done certain things very specialist and they're bloody good at it. Like there's no doubting in my mind that they're a, they might be like way more technical in something than I am. And I understand it at a high level. But when when it comes to the way that I think and the way that I position myself in my business now, that 
history that I have of accidental learning, really, and falling into things. Yes, I had to make choices, obviously, but but being in roles where I was always very generalist and had to have a broad knowledge of things, I got thrown on project teams that I was like, I don't even know if we need marketing here, but I'm glad marketing's here because it should be across the business. But I was that person they always threw into it. And I think it's because I was very open-minded and willing and also a bit of a people pleaser. <laughs> so I said and, yes. And a, and a learner. And a and- learner you know, willing to like figure things out. Yeah. One of the senior marketers I talked to who's, you know, had a very successful career, you know, lots of promotions. He said, you know, if if I would get promoted into the next position and I was all I already had mastery of all the things I was being asked to do at that next level, then I, I'm not challenging myself enough. Yeah. I should not feel competent at a job when I get that job. See, I used to always think that too. And like the the thing I think that's really sad is when people are like, oh, I'm not qualified enough for that job. I'm like, that's exactly why you go for it. <laughs> well, if, if if that's how you feel, then then there you are. What's there's some expression like whether you think you can or you think you're you can't. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I love that expression. Cause I used to always have this whole <laughs> with most things in my life, I've been given a choice that's like pretty much sink or swim. And so I've jumped in the pool and I mean, I've always sort of swum. There's been a few, you know, there's been a few wavering things where it's like, I'm tired and I might sink at this point. Right. But I, I'm uh, looking to the side, but I'm still in the middle. hundred <laughs> percent. I'm like, I may be drowning. I'm not quite sure. But, you know, and I think that it's really worked for me. But having said that, I'm completely aware that my personality has also allowed me to be that way because my concept of risk is like very different to the average person's because I'm like, I literally live with this whole mantra of it'll be all right. <laughs> and like, it's a really Aussie thing, I think. But yeah, I of- think people's risk tolerance, it can be very, very different. I yeah. mean, if you are a business owner, if you if you start a business of any kind and and you stick with it for any length of time, you just inherently have I, I won't say an appetite for risk. I don't think anybody is like, oh, I want to take big risks. No, no, but you have a tolerance. You have yeah. a, you have a certain tolerance for risk. It's not, you know, it, it's not irresponsible. It's yeah. about having a certain tolerance. And there are just as many, if not more people who have no interest in that. Yeah. Some people just love safety and I fully get that. Like I, for me, uh, the way I live my life, I know it scares, especially my poor brother and sister, because they're very safe people. They look at me and they're like, you're nuts. And I'm like, it's not that crazy. But I think, okay, so what's your thoughts then? I'd love to pick your brain around niching. So obviously niching is such a, like such a used term in the marketing world, right? Everyone's like, you have to niche. Like even with this podcast, I get challenged all the time. Don't you know your audience? You should only be trying to get one audience. I'm like, why? I'm trying to help anyone that wants to be helped by something that I enjoy delivering. So what's your thoughts on niching? Yeah. So now I'm going to put my marketing strategist hat on. So <laughs> love my company, I run a marketing consultancy and we do um, market research and brand strategy and training and coaching. Those are our main services. And so in the in the research and the brand work, we talk about this all the time. And we always talk in terms of leading with your who. So the the easiest and most impactful way to make an inroad with an audience is to have a narrow audience. Yeah. It's just math, right? Yeah. It's just math. If I am all about people that I can reach, 
right? All about people who are a certain way, whatever, like they live in a certain geography or they have a certain specialty. There's something really telltale that can make it niche. I will be able to get to them and, you know, penetrate that market. And the smaller it is and the more specific it is, the better I'm going to be able to do that. So, So that's true. However, depending upon what your offering is, it may cut a different way. So I'm going to go to a really big brand to give you an example against this and don't hold it against me because I know that your business is not Nike, but Nike is a good example because you could talk about Nike in terms of like, they they have the niche of the very high capacity athlete, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, their number one is the Michael Jordans and the Serena Williams, right? That's, 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 I their just finished like watching the movie one. on it. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really good. But, but they serve almost everyone mm. and they always had that ever since they came up with the whole notion of their strategy of if you have a body, you're an athlete. So they speak to the aspiring athlete in, in everyone. And so you could be a couch potato, but they're still for you. Mm. You could be Michael Jordan, but they're still for you because they've, they have, niched on a mindset as opposed to niching on a demographic of yeah. some or geographic on so so these are like important strategic choices now we do spend a lot of time talking to clients about being selective about who they want to be for because if you're typically if you're for everyone you're for no one yeah yeah if those audiences want different things. So so that's what it kind of comes down to. And I know from talking to you before this podcast that the, the focus of what you're doing has an applicability, no matter if a person is a newer marketer or a person is a very long-term sophisticated marketer. So I put you more, long story short, I put you in the Nike camp. Oh, I love that. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Okay. I'm going to say, if you have a brain, you're a marketer. Boom. (laughs) There we go. There we go. Yeah. So so that's, that's my thought on it. So niche definitely has its place. And frankly, like it's just easier. Mm, Yeah. Agreed. And and easier to measure certainly, but there's tremendous potential. If you have a, a really relevant service or product that can speak to some sort of a need that's more vast, you know, you, you can certainly go broader. Yeah. I only ask that, like, I guess, based on like this whole concept of generalist, but obviously when it comes to, because I wanted to make sure people, it's like generalist you, not generalist brand, (laughs) like kind of, I guess. Yeah. I mean, people do, they want to, they want to have something to grab a hold of when it comes to brand. And I don't think it's terribly different than people like, Mm. you know, brands are, are living, breathing, organic entities out in the world, right? They can't actually like verbally talk to us, but they talk to us, right? And they and they help us know things about them. And we want to see the same thing we want to see in people. We want to see authenticity. Mm. We want to see relevance. We want to see consistency. If you have a friend who every time you're with him or her, you get a different personality, it's, it's tedious and it feels inauthentic. Same thing with a brand. So Yes, you can evolve over time, but I I do think that there's this this need to find the authenticity and then find a consistent way to express it. And if people can trust that and rely on that, and you have relevance to them, they'll they'll line up for you. Yeah, I love that. But if you 
pull something inauthentic and you're just giving it lip service, they're gonna they're gonna call you out. Yeah, I love it. Okay, one last question for you. Say I'm a marketer or anyone that is feeling very specialist. What's one way to kind of, I guess, start the learning again and like kick something mm-hmm. off if you're if you're now listening to this going, oh my God, I'm a master of one <laughs> and you're worried about that. What is one way I guess you can kind of kick that learning off and and you know explore something new? So I have two thoughts on that. The first will sound very self-serving, which is take the assessment in my book. Yeah. 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 Uh, because it it will give you a sense for what are those things where I'm really strong and what are the what are those opportunity areas. And then there's a toolkit that can help you know resources to go check out. So you might end up saying, like, wow, I'm not like my sense for data just isn't as strong. And then there's resources that you can like look into for that. I think the other thing is to there, there's just so much learning available out, you know, in the world, like whether it's LinkedIn learning, you know, whatever is your cup of tea, whether it's a class down the street, you know, just pick something that that appeals to you. It could be learning the banjo. Like it doesn't matter what it is. What it'll enable you to do is to just practice learning. Yeah. It will open up a different part of your brain and it will get you to get out of your comfort zone, which is where growth happens. Yeah. So it almost doesn't matter what you pick as long as you have enough interest that you think it'll hold your attention. Mm. You know, so so let's say you're deep in digital. Maybe, you know, you want to take a class on creative, yeah. you know, or maybe you haven't done anything on the marketing tech side, you know, start studying AI. Yeah. So it's just, it's, you know, really push yourself just into a space that's different and you start to grow those muscles. Yeah. I love that. That is awesome advice. I feel like I need to like, I've been saying I want to learn a second language for so long. Maybe this is maybe, no, let's not say this. No, actually we can still do it this year. (laughs) (laughs) Are you going to do that like during your marathon, before your marathon? (sighs) You know what you could do is you could do your, you know, Duolingo or whatever while you do your miles. 100% because that's a long grueling training that I'm doing at the moment and it is lonely and it is not the greatest. So there you go. Maybe that's, yeah, maybe that's the way you go. That is a good two things done at once. Yeah. I'm trying to brush up on my Spanish because I'm going to Spain and Portugal in the fall and I used to be quite good and I'm really rusty now. And I do a meditation app and just to kill two birds with one stone, I'm now doing the guided meditation in Spanish. How good. (laughs) I don't a hundred percent understand it, but I understand enough. All you know is you leave relaxed. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And she says calma. That is smart. Love that. Meditation. Love it. You have a beautiful accent. (laughs) Thank you. Respirar. I could have made you do this in Spanish. (laughs) I'm learning learning words. (laughs) I love it. Thank you so much for joining me again. I am going to, can I ask you one more question? Yes. I did it last podcast and you gave the most excellent answer that gave me goosebumps. I'm going to do it again. What is the best piece of advice you've received? Okay. So... Let's see. Different answers than what I gave you last time. Yeah, yeah, different answer. I'm not gonna ask you this. I'm not gonna ask you the second question again because I feel like that that's hard. But the first question was really hard. Yeah. 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 And for your listeners, in case they didn't hear the other episode, that was the worst advice, right? And that was harder to find. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So best advice. So I'm I'm definitely gonna go back to my dad's 10. I was hoping you um (laughs) yeah. And I would say, um, so my my second favorite, I guess I would say, would be give your gifts, give back. 
Yeah. Cause it's just, you know, I think it's just so important. You know, we all have gifts and, you know, I think, I think it's why we're here is to share them with the people around us. And if everyone's giving their gifts, then we're just all better for it. I love that. Yeah. I'm a huge believer of that. Cause also giving a gift is kind of like, it makes you happy too, right? Like Absolutely. Every time I help someone else, I'm like, oh, I really just helped myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it does. It, it comes back around in just the most, the most lovely ways. It yeah. does. Thank you so much for joining me again today. It has been an absolute pleasure. My pleasure too. I just so enjoy you and I really appreciate you inviting me on the show twice. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Hi, Beck here, just dropping in to say that if you are struggling with your marketing planning, I have got the solution just for you. I have recently launched my marketing planner to the world and I am offering it to you at a 5% discount for listening to the potty. You can see what's in the planner and how it's going to change your life simply by visiting my website, beckchapel.com.au and heading to the resources section. When you're ready to check out, chuck in potty VIP and you'll get your 5% discount. Thanks for listening and I hope that it changes your life.